Welcome to Sky Talkers. Here are your hosts, Charlotte and Caitlin. Hello, and welcome to Sky Talkers. I'm your host, Charlotte. Hey, everyone. I'm your other host, Caitlin, and welcome to this episode where we have a very special interview with Kristen Beaver, author of The Art of Star Wars, The High Republic, and we are so excited. We've been wanting to have Kristen on for a really long time, and to be able to talk with her about The Art of The High Republic, super special, and we've had such a great time talking with her. Yes, and I know what you're thinking. Did she answer the Star Wars dinner question? And the answer is yes. And her answers are it's very good. amazing. There's so state of the end. Two first time guests, mm-hmm. at least mm-hmm. one first time guest uh, that mm-hmm. I'm very excited about. Uh, very excited. I think two. I think two, but definitely one. <laughs> yes. Okay. So I will warn you that there are some light to major spoilers about the High <laughs> Republic in this discussion. Um, about some character deaths, but only phase one. So no, nothing, we didn't discuss anything in phase two. So um, just a warning. It was a, it was a great discussion. We had such a really amazing time talking to Kristen. And you can buy the art of Star Wars, The High Republic. It's out now from Abrams Books, and you can buy it wherever books are sold. So without further ado, let's get started. So who talks first? You talk first? I talk first? We are so thrilled to have Kristen Baver on Sky Talkers today. Kristen is the host of This Week in Star Wars, as well as the writer of several Star Wars books, including The Art of Star Wars, The High Republic, which we are here to talk about today. Welcome to Sky Talkers, Kristen. We are so happy to have you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Huge fan of your mm-hmm. writing and This Week in Star Wars. So this is, we're, we're excited. And we're really excited to ask you our final question. I'm sure the listeners are too, about the Star Wars dinner question. So we'll get there. We'll get there. <laughs> anyway. So let's start right at the top talking about your latest book. So you've written a ton of Star Wars before, and this is your first art book. Can you talk a little bit about the process of getting it made, how long it took, and what I'm assuming writing it remotely? Mm, Yes. Yeah. The funny thing is I only started writing books and, you know, primarily Star Wars books in April of 2020, I think is when the first one began. Mm -hmm. So... Uh, all of them have been remote. <laughs> all of them have been <laughs> from home and in a very weird time uh, for all of us in the world. Uh, and all of them have been you know, such a gift to me personally in terms of having something really fun that I'm passionate about and just having this creative outlet to divert some of my attention to. Um, you know, of course, I have a really fun job as well. <laughs> you know, my, my quote unquote day job is super fun and creative and interesting and, you know, with starwars.com. So, you know, it was really more, the books became this lovely diversion or this lovely place to, to put some more of that energy in my off hours, uh, you know, and in that free time, especially in the height of uh, COVID-19 lockdown when you couldn't go anywhere or do anything. Yeah. Um, so my, you know, great fortune at that time, uh, you know, in the very beginning of, you know, everything in 2020 was to have the Skywalker biography on my plate and to be able to just, uh, you know, retreat into that world for weeks and weeks at a time. But I'm a huge fan of that book, by the way. Thank you. Thank you. I love the perspective. I think it is great. Awesome. Thank you so much. Uh, I am thrilled with how it turned out. Uh, I was so nervous <laughs> when I was working on that. Maybe not. I don't think I was nervous actually when I was initially working on it. It was literally the day it, it released that I 
you know, some somewhere in my conscious mind, I realized, oh no, people are going to read it, um, <laughs> and you know, and judge it, and and all of those things that come with it. But everyone's been really, you know, lovely about it and uh, really receptive to it. And it is a bit of a different, a different beast because a lot of uh, a lot of our books, um, you know, from DK especially, have been you know nonfiction behind the scenes kind of. Um, you know, look perspective of things. And, you know, from the start with that one, I know we're not here to talk about that one, but it is my firstborn child. So I feel like book <laughs> child, so I feel like I got to talk about it. Um, from the beginning, I knew I wanted it to feel immersive and in universe and, you know, as if Star Wars were real, because that's something that, you know, my personal opinion is why Star Wars is still so relevant almost 50 years on now, because, you know, it feels real and the characters are so relatable and there's such an emotional connection to things. So I know initially in the conversations about that book, there was some discussion about should we, or shouldn't we, um, you know, talk about the real world aspects of the Skywalkers. And, you know, mm -hmm. I was, uh, you know, pretty opposed, I think, to, to even going down that path just because I didn't want it to break the, you know, that wall. I really wanted it to feel like if, the Skywalkers were real people. How would we talk about them? What would we know about them? Um, you know, what kind of impact would they have on the galaxy? And just, you know, go from there without having like a sidebar that Mark Hamill played Luke Skywalker in these films, you know? Yeah. yeah. I feel like that must, that's something you have to decide really early on because that's a completely different like tone, you know what I mean? So to really commit totally. to that perspective, it, it was, it's really great. And I'm glad you guys committed to that path. <laughs> Totally. Thank you. Yeah. And it was really interesting. I was just having a conversation about it uh, the other day that uh, one of the odd things and maybe something that came into sharper focus now that I've been talking about the art of Star Wars High Republic as well. Um, you know, of course, art of books, you have a ton of interviews with real people and real conversations. And Skywalker was a lot of me just, you know, having conversations with myself about what I thought those characters would be thinking and feeling and, you know, trying to detect emotion from, uh, you know, a, a facial twitch of the actor or going back to the scripts and saying, you know, what was the intent in the scene and what was the, you know, emotional uh, thought process? What was the psychological thought process on, on what these characters are thinking and feeling right now? Um, so two different things, two different beasts. Um, Art of High Republic was definitely a little bit more in my natural wheelhouse, I guess I would say, in terms of coming from a journalism background, working as a contributor and associate editor now of StarWars.com. I have a lot of experience interviewing people and I have a lot of experience writing from those interviews and a lot more than just talking to myself uh, and trying to figure <laughs> out what fictional people are thinking and feeling. <laughs> yeah. Well, we love the art books, all of the art books. They're some of our favorite reference Star Wars books. We talk about them all the time on the show. Um, it's the first time we've gotten to talk to an author of one of them, though. So this is really exciting for us. Um, but what was that editing process like for something? You know, you talked about doing so many interviews. I'm sure not everything can ultimately make it into the final cut. Right. And I think I, I went down a side road, <laughs> as I want to do sometimes, uh, from your initial question. Um, but so Art of the High Republic was something that I, I knew it was going to be an option. Like I knew it was going to be a, a book and an entity and something that I would get the chance to work on um, towards the end of 2020. And then, you know, the work process was probably the next nine months off and on. Um, you know, depending on if we were waiting for some art to come in or if I was, you know, 
working on research ahead of some interviews. So I think we did about 25, upwards of 25 individual interviews. Um, wow. Some of those multiple sessions with the same people. We were so fortunate to have three sessions with Ian McKaig because Ian McKaig and I are both chatty <laughs> and we spent too much time talking about other things in our first session and we ran out of time to talk through all of his amazing art. So we set up another session and got chatty again and then set up a third <laughs> session and then finally got through all of the, the amazing artwork. Um, so really just a process of talking to everyone who we felt like was essential to talk to. And there were so many people that I would have loved to have talked to them as well. But, um, you know, you can start to drive yourself a little crazy, I think, if you're trying to do an exhaustive list of every single person who touched the High Republic needs to, to have a session and an interview. Um, and we also started to see that some of those interview subjects we're starting to talk about some of the, those same things. So those things can really interplay well together when you're editing your manuscript together. And it can feel like creators are in conversation with each other when they were actually in conversation with you. But it also something I think to be cognizant of as the writer that, you know, as you're getting further and further towards the deadline, um, at some point you've got to stop talking to people and start writing the book, yeah. <laughs> uh, which you know, was was it just a, a a wonderful challenge in terms of taking all of that transcripted interview content, taking all those great quotes and thoughts and insights, and then also figuring out how to to make kind of a, a narrative drive to the the book mm -hmm. itself, because it wasn't. We knew from very early on that it couldn't really follow the format that some of the other art of books in this particular series through Abrams have done in the past right. because they're live action productions of films and shows. And they run through a very specific pre-production, production, post-production post cadence. And with High Republic, it was very much the summit was happening. People were talking to each other and brainstorming, and then they would all go off and do their respective parts of the, the creative process. Um, and I think it would have been just kind of a nightmare, both to try and track that on a timeline, but also as a reader to really understand the importance and the significance of some of those developments through that framework. So very early on, we knew we wanted to tell more of kind of a behind the scenes. Here is why the High Republic exists. Here is what inspired it. Here is, you know, a, a bit of a fly on the wall feeling of those early conversations that we really rebuilt from talking to all of the people who were there. And then also just delve into what are those really important entities that came out of those discussions and what is that lifeblood of the High Republic? And, you know, that is very much the Jedi and the denizens of the Republic. And, mm -hmm. you know, of course, the, the classic Star Wars, it's the ships, it's the locations, it's, you know, it's all of that coming together. And that's, you know, where you begin to see, I think, a little bit of my thinking in terms of the organizational style and how we were going to begin to introduce all of this amazing art to, to readers without it being just kind of this muddled mess <laughs> of confusion. Yeah, I think, you know, listening to you talk about that, that editing process and, and all the interviewing and how you kind of begin to 
organize all of that, I think is so fascinating. I work as a historian in my day-to-day life, and um, I don't take on histories as massive as something like the High Republic and like putting all of that together. But um, I, I really related to what you're talking about of you know, reaching a certain point in all of your research and collecting of information when you finally just have to stop and say there can be no more research rabbit holes. I need to put it all down and actually start, you know, getting (laughs) words on a page and putting it in some kind of cohesive order. And sometimes that straight timeline order is not actually the best way to convey the information you're trying to convey. And I really enjoyed that about this book was the way that it was organized of, you know, going through like the locations and the ships and then the characters and like the Jedi and then, you know, all of our other like politicians and citizens of the High Republic. I thought that was a really um, great way to approach the High Republic, which I know when we first started reading it was like oh my gosh there's so much going on in this world and like really taking it all in I felt like for me it took a little bit of time and I think that you know the way that you organize it was such a great way um, to like dive back into some of even some of the details that I had forgotten from phase one especially mm-hmm. yeah and it's really rare for a publishing driven initiative to have this much artwork with it Yes. Yeah. Um, and it's something that I, you know, I think is a really fantastic part of just the High Republic experience that so many characters that may not show up on a book cover, may not show up in the comics, still did get concept art and you still get mm-hmm. to see this is what the creators are intending for this you know, person or creature or whatever it is uh, you know, to appear as. And you know, normally you just have the description in the book and that's great. But depending on how descriptive and specific it is, three different people can read that same description and come away with three different kind of ideas of what they think this person looks like. So I think it's really fantastic to have all of that set down with something like this. Um, I've heard someone say that now that the art of book is out, it's actually a great time to, to use this if you're just getting into phase one now, because then you can look through and say like, oh, okay, who is this character? And hopefully it's a character yeah. that's represented in the book. And so then you have a little bit of that visual connection and you can use it kind of as a, a reference guide to, to that experience. That's, such a that's good point. so yeah, true. I hadn't really thought about yeah. that actually. That's really cool. Me neither. And I think that first off, the High Republic is such an impressive initiative. And I can imagine that there was a lot of a lot probably went into like how do you even approach this? This is kind of a unique thing for a lot of different studios to even be doing, right? And how do we put that on the page? Um, was that daunting to go from understanding how a TV and film art book operates, and like how do you change the format? I asked this while while also knowing that the format isn't like completely different. There is. Uh, I think in in recent art books, I I feel like in the beginning there's a here's the big the blue sky phase mm. and things like that, and I think that you can compare that to how the High Republic operates. But I really appreciated the level of detail that was in this book. And do you think that was? I guess my original question is like, was it daunting writing a history uh, of a publishing initiative versus a TV and film one? Mm. Was that like in the back of your mind the whole time? You know, it it wasn't all that daunting, although now I'm, you know, several months away from the actual experience of writing it. So maybe at the time it felt more daunting. And now, you know, I have that like, oh, well, it's done. So must not have been so bad. Hindsight kind of 2020. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But I also think a big part of it was for me, 
this was this felt very natural. When I worked in newspapers, my very first managing editor had taught me that you always let the reporting drive the writing that you're doing. And mm-hmm. by that, I mean that you do all of your research, you do all of your interviews, you take all of your notes, and then you sit down with all that information and you figure out how to piece it together based on what's the most important thing here, what's the most interesting, what's going to put a picture in the reader's head to really bring them into the story and into the space uh, of the narrative that I want to tell. You don't just write out of your head and you're the first thing that comes to mind. And so in that way, I think you know this book felt very natural to me because through the the course of doing all those interviews, I was clearly identifying, okay, that's a great start for the initial chapter. This is exactly how this story unfolds and makes sense to me. And then just going from there, it makes it it, it way oversimplifies the process. Uh, and I once said to that same editor, wow, this this story kind of wrote itself because there was something that just <laughs> felt so natural that I was like, wow, it just kind of spilled out of me. And he said, no story ever writes itself. Uh, <laughs> surely uh, the fact that this one felt so natural was partially because of all of that research, all of that knowledge, and yeah. just getting that like galaxy brain of bathing in all that information and then sitting with it for a little bit and then you know, just allowing all of those pieces to settle into place and you know, form the, the backbone of the story. It's like the glow of the High Republic and all of its grandeur washing over you with all the research. Yes. <laughs> like the force itself took over and yeah. was just like, this is the book. <laughs> so were there only any- were that easy. <laughs> right, right. So were there any stories that stood out to you from those interviews and discussions about the origins of the High Republic project? Yes. Um, there's so many stories that, that stand out. I think you know, one of the things I've, I have a, a newfound appreciation for, uh, from the beginning, I knew that the, the five architects, the, the five main authors in phase one had like a Slack channel. We're talking to each other every day and we're sharing recipes and pet photos, but also oh, you know, figuring out story points, you know, real, real important things, <laughs> all the important things. Uh, but I think after talking to all of them individually and, you know, some of the other people on like the Lucasfilm side who were really helping to steer things like Mike Seglane, who is the captain of the High Republic ship, um, you really get more of a sense for just how much they're really collaborating day to day and how that makes a significant impact on things like figuring out, you know, how Martian Rowe is going to behave and, you know, what some of what some of his traits are really going to be and also figuring out how those authors are going to take what's happening in our world and our news cycle and impacting everybody and you know utilize those in the creative process and you know where it where it really comes into play in some of those stories was just really fascinating and i felt so grateful that I think everyone was was incredibly candid about mm-hmm. their experience and their feelings towards all of the the process and uh, you know just the the creation in general, and they gave me some really fantastic insights with that. Um, and also, I know I mentioned Ian McKaig already, but just getting to listen to him wax poetic about you know good and evil and just everything that he's learned over the course of being part of the Star Wars family for so many years was also just really a gift and really made it easy, I think, to to figure out great places to just plop those quotes into the, the manuscript because there mm-hmm. were so many fantastic insights 
uh, that I, I just wanted them all to be somewhere in the book. And I, I don't, so talented. Yeah. It's so unreal. Talented. His <laughs> yeah. one minute sketch is better than I can do in like an hour. Ever. <laughs> better than I could do ever. Ah, <laughs> right. oh, just so amazing. And but everyone was also so kind. And I think that's a a really interesting aspect of it in terms of you know, someone like Ian has every right in the world to be uh full of himself because of everything he's accomplished and he is the exact opposite. He is so humble and just so uh, generous with his time um, and was just, you know, very open about the process um, because I think especially for an artist, it can be really difficult to see your extremely rough sketches put into a book. <laughs> like this is not your best effort. This is not the polished version. This is literally a thing that took 60 seconds. But we felt like it was really important to put some of those in here to show that evolution and to also show, I think, budding artists that it's not that simple. Everybody does start from that, you know, initial rough place. And, you know, if you keep working at it or if you keep putting the, the time in, you can get to this polished piece, but it just doesn't tumble out of your, your head and, you know, go straight to the page as this finished work of art in, you know, five minutes. Totally. One thing you said a, a while back was about Michael Siglane. And yes. what really struck me when reading the book was how clear his vision was and how he was, I think you referred to him as the captain of the ship. Can you expand on his vision and charting that vision in this book? Yeah, I think, first of all, Mike was extremely accessible throughout the entire process of writing this book. Uh, I know he's an extremely busy person as well, because he's running creative for Lucasfilm Publishing, in addition to having this vision for High Republic, which is a piece of Lucasfilm Publishing. Um, so while he was extremely accessible, I was trying really hard not to bug him if I didn't need to. <laughs> um, but I believe he was my first in, last out in terms of, we. I did my first interview for the book with him and I did my last interview of the book with him because I wanted to make sure, and of course, you know, I was talking to him in between on the side here and there, but I wanted to make sure that he was really there at the the core and at the center of it, um, defining kind of you know his vision from the very start. And then also he kind of had last word in terms of if I had follow-up questions or something had come up in another interview and I wanted to make sure that he got a chance to either riff on it or you know clarify or speak to it in any way. Yeah, so I think from those from that very first interview, it became very clear to me that while well, he had a, a grand plan and a vision for kind of the the silhouette of what he wanted to create here. He definitely didn't come into the room saying, this is the story that you're all going to write. This is the the plan. Uh, he really came in to that first summit, I think very blue sky, just, you know, for a number of years now, since 2015, Lucasfilm Publishing has created canonical storytelling that, you know, fits in with everything that we see on film and in series and in animation. And so, you know, this is a, an extension of that to say, okay, what can we do that is publishing led, that, you know, is canonical, that all fits together and is very much in that spirit of something like Shadows of the Empire, you know, where it has the, the chance to be a multimedia initiative. But when we're starting, you know, at the very baseline, what does that look like? How do we make all of these stories all come together? 
but then I think he really let the architects run with it. And uh, the five authors created five pitches uh, for that initial discussion. None of them are the High Republic. <laughs> they, <laughs> they went back after you know those discussions and after having a lot of great conversation about you know what is essential to them about Star Wars, what really sticks out to them, what is definitely not Star Wars, um, and took all those ideas and then came back and said, okay, we think we should explore this all new era, this time period where other than a handful of characters like your your Yodas, your your Opos, uh, you're not going to know who lives or dies because we've never met them before. We've never seen them before. We have no idea if they're, they're going to make it to the Phantom isn't, Menace era Isn't or that not. the truth? You don't know who lives or dies in the High Republic. I do not know. <laughs> I'm still very concerned about Buriaga. Oh, and oh, every time I see- alive. <laughs> I like to believe it, but every time I see Justina Ireland, for some reason, she's the one who gets this question from me every time. But I'm always like, "Could it, is is he okay? Just you can he, tell me. He, he doesn't is. tell me. He I have no is. idea. No, he's absolutely <laughs> okay. I, we remain hopeful here. <laughs> that gutted me so I I can't even tell you. But uh, yeah, truer words have never been spoken. You don't know who lives or dies in the High Republic. <laughs> At Yoda's any given safe. moment, this that, is all I know. That's true. That's it's literally only it. Yoda. <laughs> Yoda's okay, and the the two Jedi Council members that we see in the background of Phantom Menace, true, yeah, are true. all right. Yeah, Everybody very true. Has question mark. <laughs> There's every time I would open a book in Phase One, I was like, as long as uh, Bell and Ember are okay, I will be okay. That was like my baseline yeah. for any book in the High Republic, basically, yes. whether they were heavily featured or not. It was like, you cannot hurt those two. Any death pained me, but I, I am glad that they uh, made it out by the end of phase one, at least at this juncture. Yes. Well, and it's funny because something that I actually uh, you know, asked to be put in the book, but that quite pains me, are the pages from um, Trail of Shadows issue number one, where you see the aftermath of what we read about in the rising storm with Loden great yes. storm. And mm -hmm. I wanted it to be in the book because I thought it was a really essential piece of art in terms of understanding the severity. I mean, we know, we know from the text, but if you want a visual interpretation of the severity of what happens when a Jedi meets the leveler, it's those pages. Um, but every time I go to that spread, it makes me sad again. And I think like you did this to yourself. <laughs> you brought this upon us by asking what needs to be put in here. <laughs> yeah, I think that image is, I, I can see it perfectly in my mind while you're talking about it. And it is, uh, it's very arresting. It's hard. It's hard, especially knowing those characters and their relationships. It's yeah, we did this to ourselves <laughs> by diving in. We did. We did. Although it's interesting because, uh, you know, something else that I think is really you kind of come full circle with phase one is, you know, like we were talking about, you don't know who lives or dies. Uh, and the way it ended too, like we won't, hopefully we'll find out eventually, but since phase two went back in time, we don't know right now <laughs> what's happening after yeah. Starlight Beacon Falls. <laughs> Um, but I think Light of the Jedi really did kind of set the tone for that and set us up for like, this is what you're in for. Because I remember the first time I was reading that book and just every single chapter, I was like, wow, this character's great. And then they would die. And then the Goodbye. next chapter, I'd be like, this guy's going on a date with that Twi'lek. I'm so happy for him. And then he would die. And it was just like every single chapter was breaking my so heart. So true. 
until like so five <laughs> when we finally get to the Jedi who get to live for at least a little while. Uh, for at least one and a half book. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, now looking back, hindsight being 2020 again, you know, Charles Soule really did set up for like, this is the heartbreak you're in for here, yeah. just FYI. But I didn't True. know yet at the time. Mm. I don't think anybody reading that really understood that's what was happening uh, no. or that that was going, right? The, the quietness in your voice there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so much heartbreak. But truly just a testament to how amazing the writers are for the higher public that mm -hmm. people are so invested in these characters. Um, because I think it can be very difficult, especially in Star Wars books, if you're not writing about a character that readers are already invested in someone that they've already met, you know, on screen somewhere, or, you know, have kind of a, a relationship with that character and an understanding of them, you know, getting people invested is, can, can be really tough. It can be a really high bar. Um, and they just did it again and again and again with this series and then broke our hearts <laughs> all over again, again and again, and again. Yeah. some of their decisions again and again and again, <laughs> uh, such a testament to just how brilliant the writing is uh, on the High Republic. And, just to go back to the art, the art is phenomenal. Um, you know, I know we've talked about Ian McKegg already, but uh, Ario Anandito and, uh, you know, there's just so many amazing artists, uh, Nick Brokenshire, Tara Phillips. Uh, Tara Phillips is one of my favorite pieces in the entire book, and it's her zine variant cover. Uh, so haunting, just so arresting, so gorgeous. Well, something, um, you know, talking actually like about the characters and the authors and the and uh, obviously the art, but one of the great things about the High Republic, of course, has been um, the diversity and representation that's been included throughout this whole publishing initiative. And I think that's something that is so brought to light as well through the concept art and through some of the drafts of the concept art too, and like how certain characters have their hair styled and the clothes that they're wearing and stuff like that. And I think this was something that was obviously such a, a great inclusion into Star Wars and the High Republic, but can you talk some about like having those stories included in the art of book? Absolutely. Uh, so I think in particular, Keeve was the character that, you know, first comes to mind for this in terms of the, the love and care that was put into the, the creation and the execution of the art for that character, mm -hmm. because they had done all of, issue one of the Marvel run where she appears and they had her hair flat ironed. And then there was a lot of really good conversation about, does this make sense for you know a woman who is a person of color, who is out on the frontier, who does not have time for this? Do you know how long that takes? Clearly, <laughs> you know, that that wasn't the thought process initially. Um, but then there was a lot of really important conversation about, you know, what would her natural hair look like? What would her natural hair, hairstyle be? And, you know, how do we make that happen so it feels true to, you know, who she is, but also so yeah. readers who are reading that and seeing themselves in her also feel like, yes, that feels like an accurate depiction. I love that they spent that much time thinking about that and also making sure that there were non-binary Jedi and that there were, you know, characters across all the spectrums so that anyone who was reading these books could find someone that looked like them, that had some experience like theirs, you know, that was going through something that they might be going through at that time. And that is no small feat. Mm-hmm. 
Absolutely. It's super, super special. I feel like it's definitely part of why I love the High Republic. Let's bring it back to art. Sure. What is your favorite, what are some of your favorite pieces that you have collected in this book? I'll tell you that mine um, are on, honestly, all the Yoda art is really oh, good. Yeah. <laughs> so cute. So, there's, um, yeah, there's so good. So many good ones. There's even, there's more that didn't make it into the book because there's always just so much art that there's not enough pages. So, it, you know, none of the art books, I think, are exhaustive looks at all of the art that was created for, for a particular project. Right. Um, but we tried to include like the real essential ones. And I was able to, in the manuscript phase, ask for some pieces to be included. Um, and some of that would be tied to if I had a really great quote from the artist about a specific piece and, you know, wanted to make sure that that came across as a caption, I would say like this quote goes to this piece of art. So if you can use it, please do. Um, but then sometimes it would be like, Yoda looks like a barista here. Please include him. <laughs> that's, it. that's the note. Like, I just I really want oh, that God. in here. <laughs> and, What's his order? you know, so there were some Yodas that didn't make the cut, but then there were others that I was quite adamant about. Uh, but in terms of my favorites, it's so hard to choose. <laughs> You also don't have to choose, by the way. No, I'm not going to no, put you on the no. spot to choose one. It's okay. I, I definitely can't choose one. I mean, one that I do go back to that I love is the Kiev Expression Study mm. that Ario Arandito did. Um, I think it's just a lovely, loose sketch that really shows you just the full range of that character's emotions and also just the, the full range of Ario's talent. I also really enjoyed the early court look because it's so different from the court that we actually see in uh, the High Republic Adventures. Mm -hmm. His mask is quite different, and even the spelling of his name was different initially, um, but they you, they evolved that in the, the process, and you actually get to see that look of you know, when it looked more like a plague doctor kind of mask made of bone initially, and then you know, kind of was shortened into something a little bit friendlier, I think, and just a little bit more you know, youthful. But I, you know, another one I always go back to actually is Chancellor Lena So. Some yes. of this is because I'm a big cat person. So yeah. she has two enormous, like, lion-like beasts with her that are called the Targons. And I just love that. Uh, but she's so has, cool. Yeah. So cool. But she also has like a very Naboo-esque look mm -hmm. to her and feel. Mm -hmm. And she's, she's very reminiscent to me of like a Padme. And some of that is certainly... Uh, likely because the initial sketch art came from Ian McKaig, who also designed Padme uh, mm -hmm. in the concept art phase. So she definitely has that kind of regal sense to her. Um, but I just, I love that, that final piece that, uh, you know, where Grant Griffin took what Ian McKaig had started and he refined it a little bit and he added some color. And I think that piece also is really uh, a great way to look at just the whole collaboration of the High Republic, that it wasn't just the authors working together and talking to each other and you know creating the the stories together. It was also sometimes the artists handing off work and saying, "Okay, I started this. Now you finish it," and you know seeing that level of collaboration, which I don't know that uh, you know, in other books were as cognizant of just the the number mm -hmm. of, of of people who might be uh, you know, either working on evolving a singular character or you know, even working on one specific piece. 
That whole concept like really blows my mind. And every time Caitlin and I will talk about a new High Republic book, it it just the collab the level of collaboration that went into this project. I I just don't even know how they pulled it off, and it is so good, you know, because I don't think I would be able to. Honestly, like I just don't think I would be able to do that. I don't think I'd be able to write a character that I love so much and then hand it off to a couple different authors to finish their fate. Like I just I couldn't do that. <laughs> and I think that they must work together so well and I think that you really uh displayed that yeah. in this book. I think yeah. it speaks to the level of trust they had too with each other. Yeah. Um that they could hand off a character that they loved and say, I know you're going to kill them, <laughs> but it's okay. I, I know it has to happen for the story. And there's a really great story in the book too, where uh, we learn that Stellan survived the first draft of the fallen star, which I it boggles my mind now. Also major spoiler alerts for phase one on this whole discussion. <laughs> I'll, I'll um, put a warning. Yeah, yeah. Right. No, thank you. Thank you. Uh, Cause I don't want to ruin someone's, experience. <laughs> I just you're good. You're good. Um, but I think it's really fascinating that, you know, an author can, you know, not only share their characters and allow their fates to be determined by other writers, but through the, the course of that, um, you know, hive mind, they could also even, you know, write a whole draft and say, here's what I've done, but I don't think it's working. And, you know, potentially through those conversations that they were having with each other, but also just through, uh, you know, their own individual process as an author, uh, you know, decide to to pivot a little bit and change things in the revision. Some will say for the better. Some are very <laughs> brokenhearted <laughs> about that and are less excited about uh, poor Stellan and his fate. <laughs> yeah, you, um, I was thinking the exact same thing that you said, Kristen, about there being that uh, high level of trust between collaborators. And I know you really get that sense from from everyone involved, honestly, with the higher public. It really does feel like mm-hmm. one big family. And I, I just, while you've been talking, I keep thinking about, um, I believe it was that whiteboard from the one of the the retreats at Skywalker Ranch where they had yes. all the different ideas written down. And I remember all of us on Star Wars Twitter just trying to zoom in as close as we could get on the picture and see what kind of ideas they were throwing up on the board. But I, I yeah, I can't imagine that level of collaboration and a lot of kill your darlings, quite literally, as we've discussed. Yes. And um, <laughs> yeah, passing yeah. things off. And, and even those disagreements of how you think a, a, a story should go and that ultimately not being the path that is you know, best for the bigger picture overall. But yeah, I think that that level of trust and just how fond all of these people are of each other also came across really well um, in your interviews too. Mm, Thank you. I, and I do have to go back to the whiteboard for a minute because I did have some like cell phone pictures submitted. (laughs) Uh, We didn't end up including any of them as, you know, imagery in the book because there was already so much amazing art. And I think one of them was like a a dinosaur with like lightsabers. The dinosaur. That's what I remember the most. I, I remember having at least three interviews where I was like trying to get to the bottom of who put dinosaurs on the board. It's like, I just needed to know. Uh, and everyone blames Daniel Jose. Old. Daniel. Yeah. <laughs> it seems like he's probably the culprit. Um, 
but then it sounded more and more like it, it might have actually been like uh, Pablo or, you know, as many of these ideas uh, you know, for the higher public are, I think it was like a collaborative effort. But, you know, what somebody was definitely egging somebody else on in that scenario <laughs> in that room. Uh, we just we need to know who right? put dinosaurs on the board. Um, we do. We do. <laughs> well, I have to say before we um, kind of move on to the next question, I feel like I didn't get to say what my favorite piece of art was from oh, the book. Yes. <laughs> I love all the art of um, the Starlight Beacon and particularly, of course, the photo or the uh, art on the cover, but the model of the Starlight Beacon, I'm so obsessed with. And I have to know, like, were you there when they were photographing it for the book? It just, it looks incredible. Yes. So the model actually lives in my office now, not in my personal office, but no in, way. In, in no the way. Office. Um, <laughs> because it's part of the, I know it's part of the High Republic show. Um, right. Set pieces. And I should have put uh, two for, and two together. <laughs> for a long time, the High Republic show, of course, was filmed in Christina's garage. And, uh, you know, now we do have our High Republic show set and the, the model is there. I wasn't actually there for the, the photographing of it, but I have seen it up close and personal. Um, and I am friends with Jason Eaton, who created it. Yeah. Um, because actually years and years ago now, he was one of my subjects for a series we ran on StarWars.com when I was still a freelancer that was called um, Most Impressive Fans. And I can't remember mm -hmm. now how, how I found him. I think I probably just kind of stumbled upon his, his work somehow on, on the internet and, uh, you know, reached out to him. Um, but it was such a joy realizing that that piece qualified and belonged in the art of book, uh, because it is just such an amazingly detailed model. Yeah. And because he was, uh, you know, creating design work for, for the backside of it, because, mm -hmm. you know, he had to, uh, you work with Lucasfilm to really figure out what that would look like because it wasn't part of any of the other concept art that had been rendered in 2D. Uh, but I think what was hardest with that whole thing was I knew I wanted to include it and I knew I wanted to talk to him about it. But I also know that sometimes things you know get cut for various reasons in the editing process and I didn't want to get him too excited about it. So I asked right. him a few questions and I said, we're going to try and include this, but I was super noncommittal and I didn't tell him anything. And then literally the book was out and I realized I hadn't told him that it had made the cut. <laughs> and so I had to message him and just be like, turn to page and give him the page numbers for when he got his copy uh, because I had forgotten to close the loop there and tell him that, yes, we did include your your model and you are in an art of Star Wars book, uh, which he is just delighted and over the moon about, uh, you know, as as someone who's a creative, as someone who's an artist um, and as someone who's just such a, a diehard Star Wars fan. I think he's just really blown away that his his work and his name uh, are alongside all these other amazing creators. Yeah, absolutely. I have to ask, and this is just a joke, but is there ever <laughs> any temptation to crash it? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yes, yes, all the time. If only you, if it, you could crash it, if you knew that you could just like put it back together easily. But like in the Lego games, <laughs> where they just all hop it. back together. Yes, I would crash it, and then I would make like have like a little Buryaga action figure like sail through the air but to safety yeah and be like yes yeah this is headcanon this is what actually happened everything was fine Buryaga was fine he's maybe, in a little pod 
Maybe we can hold Briaga like hostage in a way. Like we have the model. If you make sure he's saved, the model will also be saved. Yes. Oh, I like it. I like it. <laughs> save Briaga. Save the world. Save the save the, save the dream. Yes. <laughs> Done. Um, yeah, I love it. That's so cool that you share your office with that model. It must be so like inspirational. You know, our whole office is just filled with amazing and beautiful things. Um, Cause it's in the star Wars.com space. Yeah. And we just have a, an embarrassment of, of riches in terms of toys and collectibles. And just for, for a time we had a ball pit, we no longer have a ball pit, <laughs> um, various reasons. but uh, you know, it's just such a really kind of magical space to, you know, inhabit as an office. Uh, Cause I, you know, I've worked in some offices that were much less magical and much more buttoned up office space. <laughs> and, you know, so to, to have the, the starlight beacon, you know, over on our set and um, you know, to go into a conference room and there's a millennium Falcon, you know, with a, a plaque signed by Harrison Ford on it, you know, just sitting in our conference fine. room. It's fine. Um, so cool. You know, so cool. Just normal office stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the best ever. Okay. I have to ask you one thing, sure. and this is more of a comment, honestly. Well, I hate that phrase. I can't believe I said it. A comment anyway, than a, more than a question. Go yeah. on. <laughs> <laughs> um, I am a big foodie. I work in food media. And I feel like there was a lot of like restaurant locations included in this book about like where things took place, meetings that happened. And I just really appreciated that sense of place. So thank you for that. Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. I also like to eat a lot and that I'm sure worked into that. Uh, But part of it is also that, um, you know, specificity is the heart of narrative. And so anytime you can nail down a a specific location or you know a detail like that. I love to include it in the narrative because it's such a touch point if you have been to that area, you know, if you're familiar mm-hmm. with it at all, you know, it might put a, a whole picture in your head of what we're talking about now. And if you're not familiar with it, it's okay. Um, you know, it might give you a destination, it might give you an idea for somewhere to stop next time you're in town or you know, you might just Google search it, uh, or maybe you know, maybe you just gloss right past it and and uh, you know, don't think, of, give it a second thought. Um, but I was also really glad that one of the very few pictures that we included was from one of those restaurants, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. was Ian McKaig and Mike Seglane drawing on uh, you know, that white tablecloth. Yes, yeah, yeah. I loved that. You know, and I think it just gives you such a, a another just great sense of. The collaboration and the people behind this, um, and you know, not just the art, although the art speaks volumes as well, um, but just really seeing that camaraderie that comes out of the the creative process for this. Yeah, there's something about people talking about creative ideas over a meal at a restaurant down the road. It just it feels good, you know. And I feel like that's mm-hmm. what I think of when I think of the whole process of the creation of the High Republic. It just it feels good. And I think hopefully something that comes across in the art of book, um, but something that definitely has become extremely clear to to myself, um, you know, both as a fan reader and, you know, just working where I do, um, is that everyone to a person cares so much about what they're creating. You know, I, I think it speaks to a question you'd asked earlier about, um, you know, the representation and, you know, how 
how much care is being put into, you know, making sure that the characters feel real and that also you, there is a mix of, you know, among the Jedi of species and, uh, you know, people with different skin color and, you know, all kinds of genders and all kinds of, um, you know, fluidity and, you know, just really putting that much effort into making sure that it, you, it feels like something that, you know, is a living, breathing thing. Uh, and also that, you know, feels immersive and inviting and accessible to anyone who is, you know, coming to the table to read it. And I think that it really just speaks to how much the the creators really do care about, you know, not only Star Wars, but about the High Republic in particular, and not only what they were creating, but the message it is sending in that creation. Um, and I think that's something that we really get into in the in the later chapters as well, in terms of, mm-hmm. you know, that conversation about not only, you know, why some characters might live or die for plot reasons, for story reasons, for to, to tell a good story and to have a great narrative, but also, you know, understanding that the readers are living in the real world and impacted by the events of the last several years. Mm-hmm. And, you know, how do we begin to process that in a creative space and what makes sense? Yes, absolutely. Definitely. Yeah. I feel like you summed up everything kind of so perfectly and succinctly in that last little bit about the High Republic and especially the art of Star Wars, the High Republic. And uh, we loved it so much. And we have one last question Thank for you. you. Um, we ask this of all of our guests on Sky Talkers. It's called our Star Wars dinner question. And mm-hmm. the question is pretty simple. It's if you could bring five people from Star Wars, real or fictional, to a dinner party, who would you bring? And the object is good conversation. All right. And can this be a mix of real people yes. and fictional yes. people? Oh, yeah. boy. Okay. It, it can All be right. droids. It can be creatures. It can be sky's the limit. <laughs> Ghosts. Yes. Ooh. All right. <laughs> oh, that's so hard. Take as long as you need to. <laughs> yeah. Well, three hours later, I'll be like, okay. I'm good. I'll list. Oh, okay. I think I'm just, I'm going to go, uh, you know, I'm going to ask, what does my heart tell me? And I'm just going to go with that. Yeah. Um, Qui-Gon Jinn. Because I would just really love to have a conversation with Qui-Gon Jinn. <laughs> I think he's an amazing conversationalist too. And he is so, uh, you know, somewhat rebellious against the, the Jedi order in the time that he was operating, but also, you know, and such a maverick, but, but also so ahead of his time Hmm. and such a a clear thinker. And, you know, to me is, is one of Star Wars great philosophers uh, in the way that he behaves and and understands the world. So definitely Qui-Gon Jinn. I feel like I have to say George Lucas this, even though now I'm just broken the, the fourth wall a little bit of, you know, Qui-Gon and George Lucas sitting at a table together, but I can picture it. I think it makes sense. I think it does. Uh, it makes sense. I think it makes a lot of sense, actually. The two of them, they have to sit right? by each other. Exactly. Yeah. And I think they would get into a great conversation, arguably, you know, to my earlier point about how the Skywalker biography was just me talking to myself. Uh, <laughs> arguably, this would just be that again, but uh, <laughs> in a very real literal yeah. sense, just talking to Qui-Gon Jinn. Um, but I would love to just listen to that conversation. Yeah. Someone who has been 
on my mind a lot recently because of Andor mm -hmm. uh, would be Marva Andor. I'd put her on. Oh, oh I love this wow, pick. Yes. This is so good. This, this is, is the first time this a character it. from Andor has come to a dinner. Yes. So. Wow. <laughs> Marva Andor, I, I would have her at any dinner, any time. Yeah. But especially this dinner, mm -hmm. because I think she's such a, an amazing character. Um, Fiona Shaw is just flawless <laughs> playing that character. Yeah. Um, but she has some of some of my favorite monologues in all of Star Wars. Um, yes. you know, come from that character now, and so I think you know, in terms of if the, if the goal is good conversation, she is a person who can speak her mind, who, you know, has a lot of, uh, thoughts on her ideals and, you know, is extremely gifted at, uh, you know, speaking to them, um, you know, and you know, is arguably a really good debater, although we don't see a lot of people come up against her in that debate. Yeah. Um, it's very, you know, kind of a one sided. Um, but I do think in a debate uh, you know, or in a, a rollicking conversation over a dinner, she would have a lot of great point counterpoints to, to add to the mix. Yes, I totally agree. I love this pick. Yeah. This is my favorite pick I, in a really long time. <laughs> I feel like Qui-Gon Jinn and Marva talking about morality and the galaxy and like what is the call to action for when to do something right. Man, mm. I would. Yes, I'm coming. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, okay. F I get five. You do. You don't have to use all five. No, no, I'm uh, going to use them all. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Please, if you'd given me 10, I'd be like, all right, hold on. <laughs> like, settle in because we're going for it. Um, all right. One of you mentioned that we can pick force ghosts or ghosts are able to come. And so I, my my fourth pick is the force ghost of Anakin Skywalker. Yes. Okay. Love Specific. this too. Love it. <laughs> You were assembling at a world-class dinner, I, I have mean, to say. Yeah. I really want this dinner to be a thing now. I, I yeah. would like to go to this dinner. Yes. Um, again, like, is it a little bit of a cheat because we already have George Lucas at the table and he can really speak to, you know, Anakin Skywalker on a, a very intimate level? Yes. But also, I would like Ghost of Anakin to have to sit down at this table and answer some <laughs> questions. I have some questions for Anakin Skywalker after spending so much time with that family. Totally. And I think Ghost of Anakin is the best one to yeah. answer them because we see Anakin That's and especially true. especially now uh, with the Obi-Wan Kenobi limited series, we have seen Anakin Skywalker at so many different stages of his life in so many different places of, uh, you know, turmoil and rage and fear and forgiving himself. And I think Ghost of Anakin is at the end of that journey and can really look back and speak to all of that, uh, maybe with a little more humility. That's such a yeah. good point. I, I really love that. Yes. Yeah. I feel like a force ghost Anakin is the only Anakin that can come to parties now. <laughs> Let's go see Anakin's the only one we're inviting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, <for> Anakin's. <laughs> All right. And, oh, okay. You know what? My my last one, poor George Lucas is the only real world person I have chosen, <laughs> but it's okay. <laughs> That's okay. Um, because I think I have to give my last spot to Leia Organa. Yes. yes. 
Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I feel like I don't even have to explain it. It just makes sense. It's Leia Organa. Uh, you know, she's another one that I think it would be amazing to see her not go toe to toe with Marva because I think they're very much in lockstep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but to have that kind of conversation that hopefully you have had the chance to have at a party where you meet someone for the first time and it's like you've been friends for 20 years and somehow they just get you mm-hmm. and you're just like immediately talking to only them for the rest of the night. Um, and I feel like at this dinner party I'm throwing, Leia and Marva could have that connection. They could have that moment. Absolutely. I want that. Moment. I totally agree. I totally agree. Yeah. Okay. You assembled an amazing dinner party and I want to be invited <laughs> because I really like that George is the only like non-fictional <laughs> person there. Um, but it like makes sense to me. It just makes sense. So right. great job on that. And I mean, he's Love obviously the head of the table. Yeah. And obviously. then the other four are just on either side. And then I can be like the other head of the table maybe yeah. as the other real person anchoring things. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like that makes sense. I've already got the seating chart ready. I love it. The seating chart is important. It's very important. (laughs) It is. I'm going to say Qui-Gon and Ghost of Anakin have to be like catty corner. They cannot be like next to each other or right across from each other because I Mm. think they're going to have some emotions they're going to have to deal with. So true. true. They're going to be talking (laughs) to like each other the entire night. We don't really want that. That's not Yeah, that's not the goal here. Right. You You want that cross conversation and you want everybody to to be included and to feel included. Yes. Well, thank you, Kristen, for indulging us in our Star Wars dinner question. That was wonderful. <laughs> I want to just go was... to this dinner party now. Yeah. Like, I love that <laughs> question. Now I'm only I'm just a little bit mad that it's not a real dinner party that I can attend. I know. I know. Uh, we think about that all the time. <laughs> um, okay. So thank you so much for spending the last hour talking to us about the High Republic and y- your work. We are so thrilled that you were able to join us on Sky Talkers tonight. Where can people find you? I know that everyone's listening probably already follows you on social media and watches This Week in Star Wars, but what's next for you and where can people find you? Sure. So every Thursday on StarWars.com and the Star Wars YouTube channel, uh, as you said, I am the host of This Week in Star Wars, delivering the weekly Star Wars news. I'm also on social, on Twitter, on Instagram, and sometimes on Hive, when Hive is working. <laughs> <laughs> uh, on, all of the, on all of the frequencies, I'm at Kristen Baber. And next year, I will have two more books coming out. Um, I am a co-author on the book Star Wars Timelines, which I am super excited about. I really want to just get my hands on that book and just read it cover to cover and keep it by my desk at all times for all of those reference questions I often have about when is this happening? Yeah. <laughs> right? We've all had yes. that. We need it. <laughs> and I'm also the author on a new book called Star Wars 100 Objects, uh, which is also coming out next year and is very near and dear to my heart. Um because it really speaks to my personal love for props and museums and trying to put those two together under the umbrella of Star Wars, which of course I also love. I am so excited for that book, by the way. Caitlin and and I have talked about this. I loved at New York Comic Con how, I don't remember if it was you or someone who was presenting said that there's a page dedicated to Yoda's little flute. And what about Yoda's little flute? Like, I am excited to get a page about Yoda's little flute, you know? (laughs) I loved writing the page about Yoda's little flute. 
<laughs> and so many others. Well, and and hopefully, uh, you know, when that book comes out, we'll we'll get to have another conversation, and I'll get to plan another dinner party. Um, yes, yes. Talk all about all of all one hundred objects. Um, you know, that was such a just another joy to to put together. Uh, you know, not only my wish list of one hundred objects, but then, um, you know, just that whole creative process of uh, trying to figure out, you know, both the essential items like the Skywalker lightsaber, it's in the book, don't worry, and <laughs> the items that might be more of a surprise, like Yoda's little flute. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm so excited. I love it. I can't wait to so see excited. the whole selection. Me too. Me too. Well, thank you so much, Kristen, for coming on Sky Talkers. Thank you for and can't wait for you to come back. You're always welcome and cannot wait to hear about the next dinner party that you can plan. <laughs> yes. Very excited. All right. That was our interview with Kristen Baver, all about the art of Star Wars, the High Republic. As we sat up top, we had such a lovely time talking to Kristen and I am like truly so obsessed with the addition of Marva and Nor into a Star Wars dinner. And I cannot stop thinking about Marva and Qui-Gon Jinn having a conversation. And I just really love that dinner party. (laughs) Just like put a pin in that comment. Mm -hmm. And then when we revisit our yearly dinners in January. So true. So true. Maybe she'll make an appearance at your dinner. You never know. Man, I got to start brainstorming for that. Um, I've already started brainstorming. Oh, God, the pressure. I have not. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But uh, you're right. I am going to put a pin in that (laughs) and start thinking about my uh, 2023 Star Wars dinner party. But (laughs) I hope you guys enjoyed this interview. I feel like it's been a while since we've had uh, like a dedicated one-on-one interview actually hosted by us, Sky Talkers, rather than doing a roundtable situation that we've been really fortunate to do this past year. But it was uh, really nice actually to have uh, Kristen on Sky Talkers specifically, if you know what I mean, and uh, to get to have a full hour with her was just really special. And we love the book and we're both super excited for both of the books she has coming up next year, Star Wars 100 Objects and Star Wars Timelines. Super excited to add those to our collection. (laughs) So if you want to talk to us about The High Republic or any of Kristen's other work that's coming up or work that she's already written that's come out too. She's done other stuff besides uh, the art of book. But you can find us on Twitter at SkytalkersPod or our personal handles. Mine is at Caitlin Plusher and Charlotte's is at Crarity. We also have our Instagram, our website, skytalkers.com, our TikTok, and our Facebook all good places to find us if you're interested. And if you have a minute and would like to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or your podcast player of choice, we would super appreciate it. It helps other people find our show and join in on the conversation. And if you're interested in other ways to support us, you can head on over to our Patreon and check out our different reward tiers there. And I want to say a huge thank you to these patrons, Tom, Talking Bay 94 Talia, Daniela, Heidi, Emily, Adam, Emma, John, Dylan, Alex, King, Kimberly, Suki, Paul, Shelby, Derek, and Tegan. Thank you so much for supporting us. Yes, thank you guys so much. And until next time, may the force be with you. May the force be with you.